Hello and welcome to Haunted Hometowns, your weekly true crime paranormal podcast. My name is Blake Lambert-Hack, and this season I will be covering deaths and hauntings in the city of... Ooh, can't talk. I will be covering deaths and hauntings in the city of Salem, Massachusetts with a different special guest every week. Tonight I am joined by a musician and wonderful vocalist, someone I've had the pleasure of singing with. Taylor Gaffney, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Up front, how would you describe a ghost? So I always think of ghosts as spirits. Yeah. So and I I always feel like ghosts are there, spirits are there for a reason. I think there's definitely some meaning behind it. So when I think of spirits and ghosts that's what i think of like yeah they're there for a reason for sure like they're hanging out for one reason or another but yeah exactly they're not just there for the fun of it right but. exactly <laughs> i i'm a firm believer in paranormal or not i think that those kinds of things that come into your life or whatever you experience with spirits and ghosts like that's right that's for a reason yeah so. absolutely so you believe in ghosts Spirits, yeah. Yes, I do. Yeah, I like, I don't know. I don't, I would refer to them as like a spirit more than a ghost, I guess. Well, media, for sure. You know, (laughs) well, media (laughs) has totally like a ghost could be anything at this point. I, I agree. There's so many iterations of it, so yeah. Yep, it's kind of, it's left now for like you to interpret it how you feel, right? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So Salem, Massachusetts, obviously infamous for the Salem witch trials. Yeah. Sorry, there's going to be a train every so often. So (laughs) we might pause, we might talk through it. But uh, (laughs) how much do you know about the Salem witch trials? Um, So I was in the crucible in high school. So um, that was my... You and me both. Yes. (laughs) Um, so up until I was in that play my sophomore year of high school, I didn't know anything about it. Right. Um, and I remember reading the script and being in the play and just like immediately being so fascinated by that time period and by the whole, by the whole situation, you know? Yeah. So yeah, definitely very familiar with it, but I actually have never seen the movie. Oh, you know what? Read the play, been in the play, (laughs) never seen the movie. I saw the movie. Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> I saw the movie, but it's been years. So um, I can't tell you what's different between the play and the movie. Uh, yeah. But yeah. Uh, yeah, the movie's great if anyone is curious to. Because I think it's pretty accurate. The play is pretty accurate to history. The, yeah. Mm-hmm. He did his research. He did. He definitely did. Are you a true crime fan? Yes. Yeah. Definitely. I mean,. I would say more so crime, like, like I watch cop shows. Gotcha. I don't yeah, know yeah. if that counts. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, I watch Chicago PD every Wednesday night. That's, like, my yes. thing. So, yes, I am very much into crime. I love, like, I love, like, the solving. Like, I love right. 
like, oh, this, this, like, yeah. you know, the mystery part of it. I was just going to say, that's my favorite part of true crime or uh, even scripted crime or anything. It's like, yeah, the mystery of mm-hmm. it all is what gets me yeah. trying to, yeah, trying figure to, it out. Problem solving. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we're continuing the Salem Witch Trials this episode, but we're going to talk about a couple different victims because mm-hmm. again there were 20 people who died because of the trials so i'm going to try to cover as many as i can but this episode is about george jacobs senior and his granddaughter margaret Jake jacobs okay so george was born on february 13th 1609 in england mm-hmm. so we did sail on over but we don't know too much about his early life because it's like 400 years ago. (laughs) So there's not a lot of written documentation about his life. Right. Up until the Salem Witch Trials, of course. But uh, eventually he did make his way to America and settled in Salem with his son. And George Sr. owned around 10 acres to start off. But over the years with farming and all this other stuff, he grew his land Mm -hmm. and wealth. Yeah. And his son, George Jr., (laughs) Married and had two children, George the Third and Margaret. And uh, George Sr. also had a daughter, Anne, who married John Andrew. And uh, George Sr., I think, I'm not sure what happened to his first wife. She probably passed away because it happened a lot in these times. You know, yeah. People didn't mm-hmm. live super long. But he married his second wife in 1692 at the age of 80. Oh, my God. So, I mean, work. <laughs> I mean... The fact that he even lived to be that old at that time is right. insane. Absolutely. Most people didn't live past like 40 or something like that. <laughs> yeah, 80 Young. is a... That's like, yeah, you got lucky. <laughs> even just surviving the trip across Over. the Atlantic is crazy. Yeah, yeah, that's a feat in itself. Yeah. I'm going to be throwing out a lot of names. Mm-hmm. It's a, it might be hard to keep track because yeah. a lot of them have similar names. I've already Um, read three Georges, so it's, like, going to be that kind of thing. (laughs) Yeah. Some of them sound familiar to me, too. Like, I I mean, it's been years since I've, like, touched up on any of the Salem Witch Trial information. But, like, yeah, some of these names sound familiar, so. Absolutely. And there's definitely some that have been featured in The Crucible. Right. In, um, I'm sure we talk about it in some history class in school mm-hmm. we did yeah definitely but I, yeah they probably didn't go through every single person it's just kind of an overview mm-hmm. so yeah some of these names will sound familiar yeah but uh, i will three georges there's a handful of sarah's there's some john's it's gonna yeah. be a it's, lot of the yeah, same names, right. but <laughs> i will try my best to keep them separate <laughs> you're good so sarah churchill the servant of george senior was a 20 year old refugee from the native wars in maine and the Native Wars were a series of battles between the British and French. Okay. And the French had the backing of the Native Americans at the time. And it was mm-hmm. all over land, of course. So was she Native American then? I or? think she was British. Oh, okay. Her family probably settled there and then the war broke out. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So Sarah's mother, Eleanor, gave birth to Sarah out of wedlock which at that time was not okay. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So she was fined for not being married and having a child, which... That's bogus. Yeah, we're not 
happy about that. Yeah, right. <laughs> but to escape the wars in the north and to hide that her father was not married to her mom, uh, Sarah fled to Salem and mm-hmm. began working for the Jacobs family. So Sarah began showing signs of being bewitched in early 1692. She would have convulsions, but they didn't last very long. So like all the other young women that were accusing people, mm-hmm. she would... I, I talked in the first episode how there was like barking like dogs and yeah. fainting and all this other stuff. She okay. showed a lot of those signs as well. But unlike those main accusers... Mm-hmm. Hers didn't last months and months and months and months. It like it happened, and then she was like, "Oh, I'm fine. I'm good now. Mm-hmm. I'm not being attacked any longer." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Many believe though that that the affliction she was experiencing vanished because she was beaten by her employer, George Senior. Like he almost like beat her to stop lying. Basically, mm-hmm. now we know she's lying, but at the time, he was. Uh, he didn't believe witchcraft was a real thing, of course. So right. he beat her until she stopped having bewitched signs, I yeah, guess you could those, say. Yeah. I mentioned the Devil's Book last episode, but in Puritan theology, one could only become a witch if they signed the Devil's Book okay. in ink or blood. And that was the only way you could, like, obtain powers, quote-unquote, like, which powers. You had to sign this book to get... Make it, like, official. Right. Okay. (laughs) So, obviously, no such book exists. Right. However, when people testified they were forced to sign the book or witnessed people sign the book, it was taken as, like, factual proof that witches were real, even though no one could, like, produce said book yeah i was gonna say so they didn't even have the physical book no to prove okay right got it so a lot of like we use evidence at this time very loosely it's all like yeah circumstantial and he said she said type deal but a lot of the times it was taken as fact right Um, but on may 9th sarah had her trial where she confessed that she was in fact in pact with the devil and it was because of george senior so at first, Sarah's saying, I'm being bewitched, I'm being attacked. She didn't say who was doing it, but she was. And then the signs went away. And then she was accused of being a witch, so she had to go to trial. Mm-hmm. And so she confessed and was like, I am a witch, and I did sign the book, but it's because my employer forced me to do it. So she's okay. kind of throwing him under, under the, bus. the bus. Yeah. Which, if I was just beaten by my employer... I may have probably done the same um, thing too. Yeah, that that would be like one of the things that I would do right. if that happened to me. <laughs> she accused her employer, George Sr., but she also accused his son, George Jr., and his granddaughter, Margaret, of being of practicing witchcraft and made her sign the book. So I think it's a little shady that she accused the granddaughter. It's like she has... Yeah, like, there's really no tie to the granddaughter. Right. I mean, if you want to go after the men, go after the the men, but don't bring the the granddaughter into it. Exactly. And I'm sure they're probably around the same age, too, at this point. So it's like... Right. So I guess that kind of makes me think, like, a lot of these girls are around the same age that are accusing. So maybe 
the granddaughter was Margaret was like, I don't want to get involved with this. So the girls were like, well, then you're a witch. Like, if you're not going to join us, you're against us type mentality, which. Yeah, I think I think that whole the whole trial time of history was either you were not not believing in being a witch or, you know. Yeah. Okay. You're a witch. <laughs> yeah, like, there you... was no, there was no like gray area. There was no in between. Right. There were no like mediators. It was like you're either this or you're that. Absolutely, it. yeah. So, Ugh. George. So George Senior was like a. He was eighty years old, but he was taller and had. They said like, he he had a, longer gray hair, but he couldn't walk very well, so he had to walk with two canes, mm-hmm. and. This was because he had osteoarthritis, uh, but he. Got another drink. <laughs> <laughs> City life. City life. You know, I don't even notice, but when I'm doing stuff like this, I'm like, oh wait, hold on, let me yeah, stop. Right. <laughs> um, no, but he, uh, even though he was an older man and walked with two canes, he had a temper. You know, at that time, you know, men you know, say what they say and can get away with whatever they want, can do whatever they want. You can't really say much about it. So yeah. he definitely fit in that mold mm-hmm. of 1600s men. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Sarah Churchill initially accused George Sr., but Mercy Lewis and Mary Walcott followed suit and accused George of sending his spirit into their rooms and beating them with his canes. So these other two girls are like, he snuck into my bedroom and beat me with both his canes. And it's like, his like ghost, I guess you could say. Yeah, so, yeah, because I was going to say, were they saying that as like agreeing with Sarah that right. he was, you know, a witch or whatever? Yeah. Yeah. By sending his apparition or his spirit, spirit or body. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they witnessed George attacking Sarah as well as the other girls. So because of their testimony, George Sr. was arrested on May 10th, along with his 12-year-old granddaughter, Margaret. So somehow George Jr. kind of got out of... I was going to say, yeah, wait, then what happened to him? Right. I don't think he was... I think... So everybody has a trial, like a questioning, I should say. Yeah. In a tavern. They were always held in taverns for whatever reason. Yeah. And after that questioning, then you were either taken to jail to have a formal trial... Or you were let go, basically. They didn't have much information about George Jr., but I think he was let go after his initial questioning. Yeah. But George Sr. and his granddaughter, Margaret, were taken into custody. So George was always a skeptic of witchcraft, as I was saying. So when he was accused, he responded, quote, You tax me for a wizard. You may as well tax me for a buzzard. I have done no harm, unquote. So he was really pissed off rightfully so yeah but yep the following day all five main accusers all the young women testified against george senior and margaret margaret afraid for her life accused her grandfather of witchcraft so now everybody's throwing him under the bus even his own granddaughter yeah but i'm sure it was kind of a conversation of like to save yourself yeah, I will fall on the sword. Right, because she was still young. Yeah, she's exactly. probably like, "This is not how I'm going out," you know. Right. No, <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're not this taking me down. This is not the down. end of me. Absolutely yeah. not. 
She also accused Reverend George Burroughs, John Willard, and Alice Parker. And at the end of the interrogations, both Margaret and George Sr. were sent to Salem jail. So even though Margaret testified against her grandfather, she still said she was a witch because of him, so she still went to jail. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the times, if you confessed to being a witch, you were never, you weren't hanged. Yeah. You got to live, but you would spend your time in jail. Yeah. Whereas the people who did not confess and continued to say they were innocent, they mm-hmm. were the ones hanged. Yeah, which... Mm. Right. <laughs> yeah. But a lot of the times, also, if you're, like, during questionings, these people would be forced to not only confess, but if you're going to confess, you also have to give up other people that were in cahoots, I guess. Yeah. So people would just, like, throw out names just to be... Just to be... Save their lives. Yeah, save their own. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) George Sr.'s official trial began August 19th when Sarah testified once again against her employer. The moment George Sr. heard the uh, the guilty verdict, he fell to his knees in disbelief. The dramatics of it all. Oh, yes. (laughs) Of course. Now we think of court, it's like very quiet and hush and everybody has to be very on the like best behavior yeah but back then it was very much like the more dramatic the better (laughs) yeah I definitely feel like just from what I remember too about being in the play it was just kind of like everybody was randomly talking saying what they wanted to say it was it wasn't there wasn't any sort of like formal order right in the court yeah they needed Judge Judy back then to get them all in shape. I think they did, yeah. <laughs> the night before George's trial, his granddaughter, Margaret, pled for the Reverend's forgiveness because, remember, she said the Reverend George Burroughs was also guilty of which, and she felt horrible about it, so she begged for his forgiveness. Mm-hmm. He accepted her guilt and shame and prayed for her through the night. And the hangings were scheduled for the same day as the trial. And when the five people stood up to hang and looked over the crowds of the many observers who, I guess it was the thing to do. That was the thing. Yeah, that was like, that was where people all gathered and hung out was to watch hangings. Right. sick to me but i get that you guys didn't have a lot to do at that time like farming was the only thing that there was but right yeah i couldn't imagine going to a hanging um when they were the five people were standing up to before their deaths reverend george burroughs began reciting the lord's prayer which created a stir amongst the crowd because witchcraft is thought to be a pact of the devil and it was believed a witch couldn't recite the Bible. So the fact mm-hmm. that he's accused of witchcraft and then was still able to like say the Lord's Prayer, everyone yeah. was like, oh my God, maybe he's not a witch. Right. He's still hanged because he was found guilty. Mm-hmm. But I think that kind of... I think that was one of those things that started the talk of like, well, maybe this isn't real. Because mm-hmm. they had all these not real beliefs about witchcraft and yeah so. I, was, I feel like the whole thing when i think about it is everybody was kind of just like making these rules up as they went right you know what yeah. i mean it just felt like there was no sort of um i mean yeah they don't have evidence right they have no evidence yeah they're believing 
everything that they hear, there's obviously no, like, it was like either you were a witch or you weren't. Right. And if, you know, there was no gray area. Yeah. So it just kind of felt very, um, yeah, just made up. Absolutely. And it's kind of, I mean, it's heartbreaking to think that people would... I don't know. I'm currently watching a season of Survivor, so that's all I'm thinking about is all these people are just like, well, to save myself in this game, I'm going to throw somebody else. Even if I like them yeah. and I care about them, I still need to continue to survive. Yeah. So that's kind of how I picture this. But mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. George Sr. was hanged with John Willard, John Proctor, Martha Carrier, and Reverend George Burroughs. On August 19th. So anytime they had a mass hanging, I guess you could say, a shallow grave was dug near the place where they died at Proctor's Ledge, where the five victims were buried. In 1692, the law stated that the sheriff could confiscate personal property of victims to pay for the costs accumulated during the investigation. Which is kind of shitty to all the families that, like, this person's hanged, so now this sheriff is going to take all the property to pay for him being in jail, food, things like that, and leave the family with, like, nothing. Literally nothing. Yeah. The sheriff at the time, George Corwin, took George Jacobs' livestock, hay, produce, household goods, and his wife's wedding ring, and left his wife, Mary destitute and she relied on kind neighbors to survive Mm -hmm. margaret jacobs the granddaughter became severely ill while in jail Mm -hmm. and never had to stand trial for witchcraft because she was too sick to stand trial Mm -hmm. which ultimately saved her life because she remained in jail for seven months until someone paid for her jail fees like some random kind stranger was like oh i'll pay to let her out that's fine and so she was able to like leave jail. And after George Jacobs hanging, his family removed his body from the shallow grave and reburied him on their land. Years later, after the land had been sold, the new family found his body by or yeah, the new family who bought his old property mm-hmm. found his body by a stone. And so they reburied him in like a deeper grave, I think, just so it was more respectable. I was going to say, how was, not to be like gross, but how was there any part of him that was left? Right. I think it was just like bones and okay. stuff like that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> but years later, as in like 1800s years later, mm. uh, his body was exhumed once again by the city until he could be reburied in like a proper graveyard with a proper headstone wow. all of that so finally in 1992 300 years after his death Jeez. he was finally buried in a homestead called Rebecca Nurse Homestead where his gravestone reads quote well, burn me or hang me, I will stand in the truth of Christ, unquote. Wow. So, he's finally in a nice resting place. I was going to say, this man had like five burials. Exactly. 
And uh, that's kind of ghost-related stuff. A lot of people claim, like, when you disrupt a grave, ghosts will come back because they're not in a resting place. Yeah. So I think a lot of people, I mean, we'll get into it, but, like, Mm. that's a common thing for the Salem Witch Trials. You know, a lot of these people were either buried in shallow graves without having justice. Yeah. And or they were dug up, reburied dug up reburied mm-hmm. continually where it's like can we just like leave these people alone yeah. they've been through enough right right so last episode i talked about the five main accusers during the salem witch trials but this episode i wanted to discuss the three judges mm-hmm. the three main judges appointed to the salem witch trials because i think it was like a court of nine but they assigned three of the nine specifically to salem village and the Salem Witch Trials and such. Their names are Jonathan Corwell, sorry, Jonathan Corwin, John Hathorne, and Bartholomew Gedney. So. Do you know how they were able to become judges? Like, I feel like back then, like, what classified you were? <laughs> no, you know? we'll talk about it. It's a good question. I, I don't really have an answer of, like, how they became a judge. I do talk about, like, their journey to get there but yeah. um we'll start with jonathan corwin who was the uncle of the sheriff george corwin got it it's like a family business i guess i mm-hmm. don't know but jonathan corwin was a merchant first he be- then became a politician mm-hmm. and then became a magistrate and that's kind of his journey to become a judge got it. Uh, he was born in salem in 1640 His parents moved to Salem two years prior and made their living in shipbuilding. He married in 1675 and had 10 children. 10 children now is a lot. Back then, (laughs) it was normal, I feel like. I mean, it's still a lot of kids to handle, but uh, I guess at that time, it's like, oh, the oldest, you're now taking care of the youngest Mm -hmm. type deal. But yep. It's still so many kids. It's so many kids. <laughs> and back then, too, like, when I hear about f- families back then that had that many kids, like, the amount of women that died during giving yes. birth, and this woman popped out 10 children, yes. no problem. Like, Absolutely. Like, it's that's a amazing. Lot. I yeah. mean, good for her. Like, Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, at Jonathan's first role, or Jonathan's first role was to handle petty crimes like theft and drunkenness like Mm -hmm. that was basically his main job as a judge but when the accusations of witchcraft began to spread jonathan corwin and john hathorne were tasked to make the preliminary inquiries so john hathorne was born in 1641 in salem as well to william hathorne and his wife and I hate to say his wife, but I couldn't find her name anywhere, <laughs> which is so tragic. But it's uh, okay. <laughs> Not your fault. Uh, John Hathorne's father was one of the first settlers in Salem and had background in the military and politics, oh, which it. then again became a family business and his mm-hmm. son went into politics. He expanded his father's land and enjoyed land not only in Salem, but he also had land in Maine. And John married in 1675 and began handling land disputes. So Jonathan Corwin is doing drunkenness and petty theft. John Hathorne is doing land disputes. 
and then they came together to handle the Salem Witch Trials in 1692. So together they had, they heard statements from the initial accusers, Abigail Williams and Betty Paris. The two judges also questioned the first few accused. So the first three accused overall, I think in like January or February of that year, was Tichuba, mm-hmm. Sarah Good, and Sarah Osborne. And because the colony was still relatively new, they didn't have many laws. Mm. So they had to wait to try the accused till May. Okay. So even though the accusation started in January and they started questioning relatively quickly, mm-hmm. it's a colony. They don't really have... I mean, all their laws are coming from England, so it's kind of a weird like in-between area. Right. So... By then, by May, many were being held in the Salem jail, which is described as like a horrific place to be. Like, it was not clean. A lot of people got sick in jail. It was not, you did not want to go there. Right, right. Bartholomew Gedney was born in Salem to one of the Salem's founders, John Gedney. Bartholomew followed in his father's footsteps as well and rose in the political ranks until he became a judge. And that's as much as I know about Bartholomew. But eventually they all three ended up being the judges, doing all of these trials for these people. So Salem, during the trials, was around, like the town itself housed around like 2,000 people, which is less than what I even went to high school with. So it's like wild to think that. <laughs> that that was, at, for the time, there right. was that many people. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, I was stuck in a building with 2,700 people, and this yeah. town right. miles wide has 2,000. Yeah, it's right. wild. Yeah. And uh, 200 people were accused at that time, which is a huge percentage of that population. Yeah, totally. And because of that, each judge personally knew at least one person that was accused of mm-hmm. witchcraft. Yeah. So Jonathan Corwin's mother-in-law was accused, but because of her religious status in the community she was never tried for being a witch like she was accused but everyone was like she goes to church every week she can't possibly be a witch type deal right right plus i don't think it hurt that her son-in-law was a judge (laughs) uh yeah that probably had a little bit to do with it yes (laughs) bartholomew's best friend was tried for witchcraft at first the judge didn't believe that his best friend could possibly be a witch or wizard or however you want to say it. But after witnessing the young woman's pain and affliction in the courtroom. So the judge said about his best friend, quote, I always looked upon him to be an honest man, but now he did see cause to alter his judgment, unquote. So because this girl's fake afflictions and fake Mm -hmm. pain Uh, The judge kind of turned on his best friend, which is kind of sad. But even though they knew everybody accused and accusing, they fell into the hysteria of it all. Yeah, which is, I felt like that that's what it was. It was more so, like nothing made sense. It was just literal hysteria and delusion, Yes, I think. And it's, it's doubly hard to think about in the fact that you knew everyone. This is like... Everyone knows everybody's secrets. Everybody knows everybody's business. Everyone is connected in some way, shape, or form. It's like, 
oh, my brother's girlfriend's mother's aunt is now on trial. You know, like, everyone's connected in some way. Right. So which makes it even more difficult. Yep. But because of the hysteria, 19 people were hanged and one person was crushed to death. So the trials were suspended in October of 1692 when higher-ups in the court decided to take a deeper look into the mess that was going on. Yeah. Come 1693, the following year, everyone was exonerated of witchcraft. Those who fled were allowed to return home. Those in jail were eventually released and the victims that died were pardoned. However, none of the accusers suffered any consequences, nor did the judges for their part in the executions. So Mm. I think that's the biggest takeaway for me. It's like, great, these people were able to come home and it all kind of died down. And the people that did die, their families got money for it and their names were, you know. Yeah, cleared. Cleared, yeah. Yeah. Uh, But nobody suffered any consequences. They were all just kind of like, oh, well, that happened. (laughs) And I feel like, like, yeah, that sucks. But at the same time, it was like, it consumed everybody in that town. Yeah. So it's like, to then give consequences to everybody who accused when it was like, true, it was all the he said, she said, like, that just would have been a mess. Like, everybody was in on it in some way. And they knew that, I think. No, you're right. It would have been... If you, yeah, flip the coin and start punishing everybody who was, you'd be punishing half the town. Yeah, right. That's the issue, yeah. Yep. So Jonathan Corwin continued with his job as a judge and was promoted in the Supreme Court where he served till his death in 1717. John Hathorne, after the trials, turned to the military. He led forces in the 1696 siege of Fort Nashwalk was promoted to colonel before being appointed to superior court where he served till 1711. He died six years later in Salem. I don't know too much about Bartholomew's life after the trials, but it did seem like he struggled with the whole situation because he did not, he didn't continue to be a judge. He kind of like left all that behind and passed away five years after the trials so I think he kind of just felt ashamed about everything and disappeared off. Yeah. He maybe left the town and was just like, I, I'm too sick to I stay mean, here. Like, imagine being involved in that and then you are fine. Like, I feel like if you were involved in that, like in some way, that would screw you up, like mentally. Oh, I don't absolutely. Know. That's yeah. just what I think. Maybe that's probably what happened. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I still think about even like today, if you were to kill someone in self-defense, even that still takes an emotional toll on you as a person. So to be the person handing out these guilty verdicts or non-guilty verdicts and then coming to find out that like it really wasn't real. yeah, Yeah, that would be rough for sure. Yeah. So like I was saying, there were nine judges overall that handled the witch trials in the Massachusetts Bay Colony. Most believed witchcraft was real. The rest went along with whatever was happening just to kind of save face, save their job, whatever you want right, to do. Right. Um, but I could only find one man who left the court because he didn't believe in the trials. Like He was like, this is not real. 
you guys aren't making any sense. Yeah. So he quit and refused to be a judge any longer. Mm-hmm. And that was Nathaniel Saltonstall, I think is how you pronounce his name. <laughs> but he was present for the first trial, which was, I did last episode, Bridget Bishop. Mm-hmm. He was there for that, but then after they found her guilty, he immediately quit. Mm-hmm. So It's probably smart on his part absolutely yeah he's like yeah one one and done for me yes this is far too much i'm retiring yeah so i was listening to a true crime podcast the other day and they were discussing the notion of like today the notion of you're innocent before you're found you have to be proven guilty otherwise you're innocent Mm -hmm. and that it's necessary we keep that in mind because when we believe people are guilty first like guilty unless they can prove innocence we end up with a situation like the salem witch trials yeah like 100 everyone's like you're guilty now prove to me that you're not mm-hmm. which is impossible because they didn't even prove that they were guilty right so. they had like i mean i know that there were things that happened during the the trials right. in court when girls were like convulsing and all that kind of stuff but other than that like yeah they didn't have the book they right. really had no evidence and it's like yeah obviously there were no cameras back then it was definitely like a he said she said kind of thing which i feel like that's why it spun so out of control and got to like that state of hysteria for sure absolutely yeah i think keeping innocent first is so important yeah (laughs) because we see that even today when we get people who either are imprisoned even though they didn't do the crime, mm-hmm. it's usually because police or lawyers or whatever view this person as guilty first yeah. and then try to fit evidence. To match the narrative. Right. Yeah. Instead of, oh, they're innocent and we'll try to prove them guilty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was recently at the Medieval Torture Museum. I saw that on your Instagram <laughs> story. I first didn't even know that they were putting in something like yeah. that. It's brand, It's like I think it's only been around for like a month, so okay. it's brand new in Chicago. Okay, um, you're the only person I've seen mention it. So <laughs> it was wild. I had to go just because it was fascinating. But yeah. there were a lot of. Um, it was the museum itself has like different things from like different time periods, different countries different reasonings behind why they were torturing people as if there was a good reason behind torturing somebody. Right. But um, (laughs) there were a handful of witch ones where it's like this, we believe this woman's a witch and we're going to torture her until she says one way or the other, which was like, okay, if you're going to do that, why don't we stick to like one torture device? We don't need 10. Yeah. (laughs) It's definitely. I feel like, yeah, because... I don't know. I don't know. Would you consider hanging a torture device, or is that more of like an execution? It was in the museum, so I'm gonna say it was torture. Okay. I think it. I mean, it's definitely execution, but I think yeah. it's like, uh, it falls under the cruel and unusual punishment type okay. deal. Yeah. Yeah. Especially back then during the Salem witch trials, because I kind of talked in the first episode of the season, mm-hmm. hangings at this time you were kind of just like pushed off a ladder Mm. type thing and you could hang there for 20 minutes before you were suffocated which is an extremely long time to oh my god yeah hang there with 
something around your neck. Like, that would yeah. be horrible. Literally horrible. So, to that is torture yeah. to me. Yeah, that would be awful. But um, there's one specific thing about witches in the museum that I thought was hilarious. Like, horrible, but hilarious. Yeah. Um, it was a scale that you'd mm-hmm. step on. And depending on how much you weighed, it it either said you were like an angel, an ogre, a uh, witch. Uh, there were like different levels of those Weight things. to determine what you yes, were. Yes, exactly. Oh, gosh. So if you weighed less than 99 pounds, you were considered a witch. And like that was like proof that you were a witch. Oh, my God. Which is insane. Insane. That's like... That's, like, younger people, too. Yes. So, like... You better start feeding your kids a lot of food. Right, right. It's insane. <laughs> or, like, I don't know, because they were obviously... The church, like, ruled everything. Right. You know, I don't know a whole lot about back then if they did, like, baptisms. Like, so then your your child is baptized, so now they're clean right. of the devil. Mm-hmm. But then... If they're below 99 pounds, they're considered a witch. Yes. Yeah. So that's that's why it's like that whole time period, like people's thought processes and like how they determined like what is this and what is that. Right. It's just so skewed. It goes to your point of making it up as you go. Yeah. Absolutely. That's totally. <laughs> that's totally what, what it was. Yeah. yeah. Everybody was just making it up as they go. There's always something, it's like as I'm like researching this for the season two and I'm like going deeper than I normally go with cases because I am doing so many episodes on it. Yeah. It's like each episode I'm writing, there's something different where it's like, well, if this happens, then they're a witch. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, there's another thing like yeah right <laughs> like yes they were searching somebody's body and it's like i found a birthmark or something that you're a witch mm. oh you sound you signed this imaginary book you're a witch you know it's just yeah. like you weigh less than nine it's like it doesn't matter it's like you're shit out of luck no matter what right right there was no true like factual reasoning exactly what they determined was witchcraft or not well we're gonna take a quick break so i think it's important we keep in mind innocent until proven guilty Mm -hmm. because when we don't we end up with innocent people in jail or executed and so with that we'll be right back and talk about some ghosts cool We are back, and are you ready for some ghost stories? Absolutely. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> so as I mentioned earlier, George Jacobs Sr. was buried on Rebecca Nurse Homestead 300 years after his death. Mm-hmm. Rebecca Nurse was also a victim of the Salem Witch Trials, but I'm going to cover her story next week. Okay. So everyone tune in next week to hear about Rebecca Nurse and her two sisters. But... Rebecca's homestead was around 300 acres during the trials. Today you can tour it, but it's only like 27 acres. Mm. 
There's a meeting house modeled after the original, a dairy barn, several other houses, and then a cemetery, of course. And it was exclusively meant for the nurse family. You know, you have your own plot. You know, back then you didn't have cemeteries per se. It was like each family had their own family plots. Sure. So like the cemetery on the homestead was initially for the nurse family who do preside in the cemetery today. So they are buried there. But the Putnams are also buried on that land. And so is George Jacobs Sr. So if you visit the homestead, prepare for cold breezes, which is odd since there isn't AC in 1600s houses. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And this is like even in the summer when it's like 80 degrees outside. Really? You'll still get like a cold breeze or something if you're wandering through the house. Things like that. Like you'll, and then some feel like a, just a cold breeze. Others get like a blast of cold air, which I think would be like, it's startling. Yeah. Whether it's a ghost or not, either way, it's startling to get Either way, I'm probably going to get goosebumps. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So many feel they're being watched, even in the off season when the buildings are locked for the winter. And there are like many pictures and some are convinced you can see faces in the windows and such and obviously that's to everyone like some people see them some people don't but the the pictures are creepy and i can see what people are talking about so Mm. i know it's fun check them out i'll have to yeah i was gonna say (laughs) i'll look them up i'll google them when i get home (laughs) if you're near the cemetery you may find a man in black waiting under the shade of a tree Visitors have reported seeing a man who works on the homestead in the cemetery, but as they approach the cemetery, the man vanishes. Mm-hmm. And visitors have been, they've like even asked the people working at the gift shop if anyone was on the estate working. Yeah. And of course, they, the gift shop people are like, no, I'm the only person here today. So that's always a little, a little mysterious. <laughs> mysterious for sure. <laughs> and this isn't the only place people have felt. Like, they are being watched. The cemetery, the houses. It's always, like... It's, like, the woods, basically. It's, like... Yeah. It's surrounded by trees and stuff, so they're always feeling like they're being watched from someone standing in the woods, or the outskirts of the woods. Mm-hmm. But it seems as if George Sr.'s spirit follows his remains. There were hauntings on his estate when he was buried there, mm-hmm. as well as... Uh, Proctor's Ledge, where he was initially buried in that shallow grave. So, no matter where his body goes, there seems to be some kind of paranormal... Stuff going on. Yes. And there were claims he'd hang out by the river as well. So, maybe it's him. I mean, this is, again, over 300 years ago, so it could be George Sr. It could be a different ghost of someone who died in the area. Used to yeah. say, but there seems to be yeah some kind of paranormal activity going on wherever he's been buried. Yes, yeah, exactly. Okay. Many paranormal investigators believe spirits linger because they have unfinished business, or because their remains have been disturbed, like we were saying. Mm-hmm. But both would be the case for George Jacobs Senior, since no one went to jail for his murder, and his remains have been exhumed twice, and it's been like a whole thing. So. Mm-hmm. He's like double the checklist for <laughs> why you would haunt a place. Right, right. Checks all the boxes. Yes. Yeah. 
Even Broad Street Cemetery where George even Broad Street Cemetery where Judge Jonathan Corwin and his nephew Sheriff George Corwin are buried, even that cemetery has ghost activity. Mm. You can find orbs of light, shadows, and apparitions of the Corwins. So people have seen people wandering in the cemetery and they're like, that looks like the judge, that looks like the sheriff type thing. There's also a ghost that whistles wandering the cemetery, Mm. which I don't need to, I don't want to experience that. Uh, No, neither. (laughs) Seeing is one thing I feel like, like if I was to experience anything like that, I'd rather see it than hear it. That's fair, because, yeah. Because if I see it, I see it. But if I hear it, I don't know where it is. Yes. And that's creepier to me than just seeing where it is. The unknown is always creepier, for sure. (laughs) So I am with you on that. (laughs) Especially, like, ominous whistling. Like, it's... I don't know if it's a specific tune or just whistling here and there, but either way, no. I think, yeah, like, if obviously, if you're in a cemetery and you hear random whistling, I'd be like, um... Yeah, I'm getting out of here. Yeah, who's here with me? Yeah, yep. <laughs> so I think, I think it's funny because like a lot of times we don't think of ghosts as like making, like you might hear whispers and stuff like that, but mm-hmm. to like almost sing a song or like, because you have to, I don't know, it's weird. I've never heard of that as like ghost whispering or a ghost whistling. That yeah, no, I, I have box. Yeah, <laughs> I've, the only things that I've really heard of are mainly like seeing it right not so much hearing it gotcha you know what i mean yeah yeah, yeah. so you that's very eerie <laughs> yeah so that's uh the corwins judge john hathorne is buried in burying point cemetery you can also find odd shadows uh floating orbs and apparitions at that cemetery as well but there, there's also, like, a heavy mist that rolls in kind of frequently. Mm-hmm. And voices talking to you, again, from, like, nowhere. Yeah. So, a popular apparition in the Burying Point Cemetery is a woman in a powder blue dress. And she carries, like, a picnic basket and is accompanied with a little boy. Like, a young boy follows her around in the cemetery there's also a lady in white that wanders the grounds thought to be the wife of giles Corey, mary because she was also buried in burying point cemetery mm-hmm. and many have also watched a man in a suit and tie rise out of the ground in mm-hmm. front of like like in front of a, a tombstone yeah so he's like half in half out of the ground <laughs> so those are some of the like most common or famous ghosts in each cemetery that is going on in Salem. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, you can definitely find some of these, like, odd photos on the internet. Yeah. Of these cemeteries and of the homestead, Rebecca Nurse's homestead. And, of course, it's, it's, like, hard to believe now because Photoshop is a thing. So it's, like... Right. Right. I feel like that's kind of tough with, yeah, the stuff that you see on the internet now, too, because people can create that in any way that they want right absolutely but some of the photos did pique my interest so i don't know i'm gonna check it out yeah (laughs) i'm gonna check it out i'm i'm into it now so have you ever had any of your own paranormal experiences honestly um 
I only have one. And so I grew up in St. Charles. Mm-hmm. And in downtown St. Charles, there is Hotel Baker. Yes. Hotel Baker. I'm sure you've heard this. Yes. It's said to be haunted. And I've actually never been in the hotel, but I've heard stories about it. Yeah. So it's gorgeous, very like quaint hotel. Um, right on the river. Right on the river. It looks like... Yes. It's an old hotel that kind of looks like a Tower of Terror kind of a little bit. It definitely has that vibe. Yeah. It's, it definitely has like the kind of haunted hotel you see in a movie. Like yes. Like it really does. Yeah. Um, but it is gorgeous. And so um, one of my high school friends, her mom worked in Hotel Baker. Oh, okay. And so she had like the keys and stuff to like certain rooms or whatever. Right. And I think, so my, we were friends at the time. Um, we don't talk anymore, but she's been very like, she was very like into ghosts and like really believed that that was like a thing. And I would say at the time, like I kind of felt like they were real, but I wasn't like obsessed with it. Like she was. Right. And so we went to tour one of the rooms Mm -hmm. because um, I was like, we should go check it out. Yeah. Like, blah, blah, blah. Because, like, <laughs> I'm not scared easily about that kind of stuff. And she was. And so her mom took us up there. And I don't remember if we, like, saw something move in the room. Right. Or if we, like, felt a presence there. But, like, I got freaked out. And I was yeah. like, okay, never leaving. Let's go. <laughs> so that's, like, the only experience that I have. But, yeah, I, I want to say it was, like, something in the room moved. Got like a shadow or like No, not a shadow. It was like I don't want to say the shower curtain, but it's I for some reason in my mind I remember it being like in the bathroom. Like something in the bathroom moved. Gotcha. Like an okay. item in the bathroom moved. Okay, okay. So I didn't see any like spirit. Right, right, right. But I think we felt a presence there and I saw something in move right so that's my only experience that i have i mean that's something that's uh, yeah. more than most people have yeah. experienced yeah. would you go back to the hotel baker i think i would yeah yeah definitely we should visit we should because i've never been inside but everyone says it's beautiful like you no, said no it so. is it is beautiful and like um back by the river they have their courtyard that's really pretty oh, yeah. too yeah so yeah, it was freaky, but I would definitely go back there again. Maybe do a little bit more. Yes. Exploring. Exploring. <laughs> yes. Do you, are you interested in like visiting cemeteries? Is that like a thing you've done before? Like just wander cemeteries? No, I've never done that. <laughs> I have never done that. I've only been in a cemetery during the day. Would you go into a cemetery just to feel it out? <sighs> I don't know. Maybe if I had a couple drinks in me. Fair. That is... <laughs> you know? Yes. <laughs> like, I don't think I would, like, willingly choose to go to one. Maybe if it was like, oh, let's go do this. Right. Like, I'd be mean, like, okay, whatever. But I would... It would never be my idea. Gotcha. I guess. I should say. It's so funny because my family, my mom's side of the family is so into just, like, wandering cemeteries. Are they? For, like, I don't even know what the reason... It could be, like... Oh, I hear this person, like this author that I really like is buried in the cemetery. Let's go check out her grave. And so we've done that. Or like, okay. this cemetery is supposed to be beautiful. So let's go look at it. And we just like wander a cemetery. And it's like, 
I don't I grew up with that, so that's just something I Yeah, I was so gonna say I've with. never heard anybody do that. Yes. Uh it's again been during the day of course because they're locked at night, but yeah, I would right. not be against uh hopping a fence or something. <laughs> <laughs> just to even play Ghost in the Graveyard, I love I don't know, it'd be fun. It'd be ex- exciting. But uh yeah. I was listening to another podcast, uh, I don't know, My Favorite Murder, I don't know if you've listened to it, but... I have not. They have uh, a segment where it's like they talk to a celebrity okay, about true crime, but they had Nicole Byer on, the mm-hmm. amazing comedian Nicole Byer, and she was talking about how her first apartment was haunted. I don't want to say her first, one of her first apartments was haunted mm-hmm. and by a guy, and she's like, I actually like saw him, and he had like a white t-shirt on or whatever, and he like disappeared but then the thing it killed me because she was talking about how the fact that she was again like just like uh bouncing off comedy ideas for stand-up comedy with her friend or whatever mm-hmm. they were going back and forth and then they heard like clapping in the apartment as if they were like applauding their like their sketch, sketch or whatever oh my gosh <laughs> which i think is hilarious so good <laughs> it's yeah funny but also freaky like i don't know was she living by herself yeah Okay, yeah, no, I would not do that. I'd be like, uh, no, I'm leaving. You'd pack it up and go. (laughs) Yeah, I'm breaking my lease. That would be, yeah, no, thank you. Yeah, I think, like you were saying, seeing something is a little better than just hearing something. So if she hadn't heard, or if she hadn't seen him first, I think she probably would have been more creeped out. Because then it's like, is somebody in my apartment? Yeah. But like seeing the apparition or whatever and being like, okay, so this spirit lives here with me as mm-hmm. long as you don't get out of hand i'm okay with it type deal yeah. but yeah it's not for everybody that's no <laughs> i think i think i see in that situation i feel like because i saw them first then i'd be more creeped out yeah. whereas like if i heard just clapping i'd be like okay maybe that was just coincidental i right. wouldn't my brain wouldn't immediately go to oh that was a ghost right you exactly. know what i mean yeah so I don't know. I feel like in that situation, yeah, I would prefer to like hear something because I don't know. Yeah, like I said, my mind wouldn't go to a ghost. Like that wouldn't be the first thing I'm thinking. Same. Of. Like that's like anytime anything weird happens, my first, my initial thought is never ghost. It just yeah. isn't. Yeah. It's, I don't my think either. most people's are. Uh, yeah, but... that's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but after you sit there for a second, for certain things, it's like oh. It could, like, my first apartment in Logan Square with Ty and Ben and then other people eventually. But, like, I swear I was being watched. Really? Half that time. I never heard either Ben or Ty mention that either. No, because Ty never felt anything. I haven't talked. I'm, like, next week's episode is with Ben. So I will probably talk to him about it. Um, But Ty said he never felt anything in that apartment. But Becca and I did. And so, like... Anytime I was home alone, because you know how the apartment was so long? It was so long. I do remember that. And you couldn't, when the lights were off, you couldn't see the kitchen in the back. Like, it was just like a dark hallway mm-hmm. when you're sitting in the front room. And yeah. so it was just so, I always felt like, I it was like always looking over my shoulder being like, I feel like someone's at the end of the hallway watching me, but I never saw anything. Nothing yeah. weird ever happened, but it was you just... felt You felt a presence, though. Right, yeah. Okay, and Becca did too. yeah. Was it the same thing, like, with her, too, with the kitchen? She just felt like she... I mean, her room was next to the kitchen, so she just felt like she was being watched as well, but she never really gave details about it, so... Got it. 
You know. you read into it a little bit more than she did. <laughs> Probably, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, it it wasn't a threatening feeling, so I didn't. It wasn't like a, I have to leave here. Like mm-hmm. it was just kind of like okay, yeah. I'm aware of something that's not sitting. And it wasn't yeah. every time. It was like only every so often. I'd be like, it's a little weird, but okay. okay. Would any of the times that you felt that be like around the same time of the day, or? Yeah, actually, now that you say that, it was usually, I was usually home alone. Okay. It was either, I was either by myself or someone was home with me, but they were like in their room or something. Mm. And it was always, yeah, like at night. Okay. I was just watching TV before bed or something like that. So. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, because I was going to say, that's interesting too, if it was like always at the same time. Yeah. Like if it wasn't, if it was just at random moments. That would have been, I would have felt like, hmm, I wonder what the reasoning behind those different right. moments is. But if it was like at the same time, every time that you felt that. Yeah. Then. And it's weird for me because like you were saying, I don't get freaked out easily either. Like I, I only like scary movies when they can scare me. So it takes a lot yeah. to get me to a point of being creeped out. And so when, like normally I would chalk that up to being like, Okay, well, it's late at night. It's dark. I can't see very far. I'm by myself. Mm. Stereotypical things. Yeah. But because that happens all the time and I don't feel like I'm being watched all the time. Yeah. It's kind of, that's, I think, what stood out to me. It's like, this is an odd Mm. occurrence. Right. Right. Yeah. I don't know. We'll have to look up those photos about the homestead and cemeteries and stuff and then Maybe we'll have to do our own ghost exploring. In a cemetery. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's freaky too. Like, I don't know, knock on wood for me, but I've never felt any sort of like ghost or spirit or paranormal presence in any of the places that I've lived. That's good. And I feel like I would probably be freaked out more or, like, stuff would freak me out more if I was to ever experience that. Like, I would definitely be aware of it more than yeah. I am now. You know? Well, I think especially for living purposes, it's like, I live here. I can't escape this place. Right. Whereas when you're visiting a haunted house, a hotel, oh. cemetery, whatever, you can leave. Yeah. If you're creeped out or something's not sitting with you, you can leave and you don't ever have to experience it again. Right. But when it's with you... Where All the time, live. every day, yeah, yes. type of deal. Yeah, it definitely is an extra layer. Yep. Mm-hmm. But, uh, well, thank you so much for being here, Taylor. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. You can follow Haunted Hometowns on social media for photos related to each episode, guest information, and upcoming news. If you'd like your ghost stories read on the podcast, email me at hauntedhometownspodcast at gmail.com. Could be anything from stumbling upon a ghost eating metal piping to all your liquor disappearing from your bar. Let me know. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and share the podcast. And if you like what you hear, you can follow Haunted Hometowns on Patreon now where you can find exclusive content and such. And Taylor, where can they find you and what you're up to? I have an Instagram. Yes. Um, I would say that's probably the like platform that I use the most for sure so my handle is tgaff so that's t-e-e-g-a-f-f perfect and 
hopefully you'll post upcoming gigs or whatever. And Absolutely, I always do. <laughs> come see you sing and perform. So yeah. everyone tune in next week for more Salem Witch Trials because everyone loves a ghost story and a witch story at this point. Yes. <laughs> The theme song was created by Ty Air. Follow him on Instagram at For Boys Like Me. That's F O R Boys Like Me. The artwork is by Pepe Munoz. Follow him on Instagram at p.e.p.e.munoz, M U N O Z. I got my information from Wikipedia. Salem Witch Museum, Thought Co., Wicked Salem by Sam Baltrusis, and Haunted Journal.